Would you open your Bibles to the book of Judges in chapter 6? I'm going to go through the story of Gideon with you. Now, I'm not going to assume that this is a brand new story to most of you. In fact, how many men does Gideon take with him to fight the battle against the Midianites? 300. I hear it all over. You know this story. What I have found as I'm getting older in life, and I love to really dig deep, and, and the, the average age in our church in Romania is about 29 years old. And it's a young church, and, and they just love digging deep. And, and the deeper we can go, the more they enjoy it. And, um, and I have challenged myself to look at some of these Sunday school stories and make sure that I'm, I'm not missing things. See, when it's so familiar, it's easy to kind of go right over the details because we think, oh, I know this. I've heard this whole my, my whole life. And so I want to I try to get you to pretend you've never heard this story before. And I want you to, to, to take a fresh look at what's there. And some of it I'm going to go fast because it was right what we learned. And, you know, it's not that we're way off, but uh, I, I want to go through those parts really quickly. You know, the fact that the Midianites for seven years had their hand against Israel in such a way it was devastating. It says that every time they planted crops, the Midianites would come in and, and camp on the crops. And it, it doesn't just say they ruined them because they happened to camp on them. It says that they did it for the purpose of destroying the crops. They didn't, they, they didn't want to leave anything. And they took all of the cattle and they chased the Israelites out of their homes. They had to run to the hills and hide in caves. And, and look, if, if it was bad enough what Pastor was just talking about, gone for a week and, and the power went out and he lost a refrigerator full of food. He'll recover from that. But imagine if that happened all year. You just lost power in your house for all year, so you just couldn't store things. You might survive, but is it going to be rough? All right, now let's go another step. And somebody moves into this town, kicks you out of your house, kills any animals that you had, tromps down your garden, and you run off and you're trying to hide. Now, if you had to exist that way for a year, how are you doing? How are you doing after the second year of that in a row? How about the third year of that in a row? How about the fourth year of that in a row? Watching your children die of starvation. How are you doing? Fifth year. Sixth year. Seventh year. I don't think you can understand the devastation they were going through. I do not believe we can picture it. It was that bad. And what did the Israelites do when it got that bad? They cried out unto the Lord. Uh, I, I'm going to try and move through some of this real quickly. Um, uh, verse 6 of chapter 6 of Judges. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of the Lord, I mean, the children of Israel did what? They cried out to the Lord. Now, I have to admit, the first time I read this, and, in, and for years, I've seen, you know, we, we've seen the cycle. The children of Israel, they sin, and then they repent, and then they sin, and they go into bondage. And God, they repent, and God delivers, and so they sin. And, and it's just this cycle with them. And it was just, in my mind, another part of the cycle. Something jumped out at me at the next part of the story. In, in, a, mo in a moment, 
I know I'm getting ahead of myself, but I'm doing it on purpose. We're going to see God gives Gideon a challenge to go down, tear his father's Asherah pole and the Baal worship stuff. He's going to have to tear that down. All right, when we get there, we're going to realize what was Gideon's family like? Who did, the, who did Gideon's family worship? Baal. But yet before that, it said Israel cried out to the Lord. I'm, I'm here to tell you not all Israel cried out to the Lord. And if you continue to read the story, it's hard to get people to want to be involved in what the Lord is doing. And we're going to see just how bad it gets in a moment. But I can guarantee you not all Israel cried out to the Lord. But it says Israel cried out to the Lord. Do you know why? Because some did. You don't need everybody to cry out to the Lord to make a difference. We need somebody to cry out to the Lord to make a difference. You may not be everybody, but are you somebody? Are you catching me, church? We need you praying even when you think others may not be. Even when you say, but I'm going to a God that my nation is rejecting. You have to say, it doesn't matter. I'm crying out to the Lord. Because there were people like Gideon who cried out unto the Lord. And so the way I heard it in, in Sunday school was so then God came down to, you just missed something. What did God what was the first thing God did because they cried out? Verse 7, I think. No, before the delivery. And it came to pass when the children of, the, of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites that the Lord sent them a deliverer, a prophet. This is before Gideon. What's the name of that prophet? We don't know. What we do know is what the prophet told them. You see, if you were to go back and ask the nation of Israel, what do you need right now? Well, we need an army to defeat Midian. Or even before you do that, I need a meal. I need some food. I need some cattle. I need my home back. But God didn't send a chef. He didn't send an army. He didn't send an economist to help them out of the misery they were in. He sent them a prophet. Their problems, listen carefully to, carefully to what I'm saying. The problems were civically related. It had to do with normal life on this earth that every believer and non-believer deals with. You need a house, you need food, you need protection. The cause of these things that were affecting their everyday of life was their worship. So many people think that you can divide that. I've got my church life and I've got my secular life. It doesn't work that way. He says, uh, sent the, a prophet to the children of Israel who said to them, Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage. In other words, I have the power to deliver and I've already proven it to you. I've already done it. Let me just pause for a moment so we can think this through at our level in 2017, has God ever proven to us that he's able to deliver? Okay, so we're with them so far, right? 
And then it goes on, and I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you. And I drove them out before you and I gave you their land. And I also said to you, I am the Lord your God. Here's the rule. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you didn't obey my voice. The reason your housing is affected, the reason your animals are affected, the reason your crops are affected is because you didn't worship who you're supposed to worship. It does relate. And I wish I had time to go into not only who you worship, but how you worship. Because you'll have to study that out on your own, but but Gideon talks to the angel of the Lord, which is Jesus, pre-incarnate Jesus, and, and he says, if you're really God who I'm talking to, let me worship you. And he says, all right, go. And so Gideon goes out and prepares an offering based on the Levitical code and brings it to him, and he accepts it as worship and does exactly what the angel of the Lord tells him to do. In other words, you don't just... Make it up as you go along. You worship God the way he wants to be worshipped. Who you worship matters and how you worship matters. And it affected their life. That's another whole sermon I'm not going to have time to get into. But I want you to notice now um, verse 11. This is where Gideon comes in to the picture. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abirzite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the wine press. Now I love, my favorite phrase in preaching, teaching, my Bible studies, you name it, is let Scripture interpret Scripture. Okay? We don't have to guess why he was in the wine press. It wasn't because it's a better functional thing there. Why was he in the wine press? To hide. The Bible tells us that. He was hiding. People hide when they're afraid. Gideon was afraid. And we're going to see that, we're going to see that fear shown to us in a moment. And the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said to him, the Lord is with you. And then what's he call him? Mighty warrior or mighty man of valor. Now, if you're Gideon and you're afraid and you're hiding, And you're hiding because you know if you get spotted, you will lose your food and possibly your life. And the angel of the Lord comes to you and says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. What part of that phrase, what part of that statement do you challenge? The mighty warrior. Gideon doesn't do that. I think we miss the point of the passage when we don't realize this. In fact, Gideon never challenges that question about him being a mighty warrior. Until later when he says, how are you going to use me? I am nobody in the smallest house. But at this point, he does not challenge whether or not he's a mighty warrior. He challenges the statement, the Lord is with you. Now, I want you to pay real close attention to this. Because if you don't understand this, you're going to miss what pastor was talking about this morning when he, he talked about the power in the church. And this is what led me to want to present this to you this morning. Gideon said to him, Oh my Lord, if I am a mighty warrior, is that what it says? No, it says, if the Lord is with us. Now let me pause for a moment. 
how much scripture, how much of the Bible would Gideon have had? The first five books of Moses. And maybe Job, because Job is the oldest book in the Bible. The rest of it hadn't been written or hadn't happened yet. So would Gideon have known the stories from the first five books of the Bible? There's a really good chance he would know those because he is one that cries out to the Lord. He, in his, in his comments here, well, let me read it to you and then I'll talk about it. He says, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, which would have been in the Pentateuch, the five books of the Bible, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? And now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Right, so he's saying, wait a minute. How can you say you're with us if when you were with us, it looks like this, but now we see this. When you were with us, there was power. You follow me yet? Now there's no power. My assumption is you have forsaken us. You know what forsaken is? It's the opposite of present. He's, when you were present with us, great things happened. But when you left us, bad things happened. You see, the most important aspect of the life of Gideon was that he understood the value of the presence of God. Before you say, let's go do great things for God, you say, let's get God in here. And Gideon understood that. And, and what's, what's neat here is I think Gideon learned from his Bible. Not only does he relate back to the stories, but it's interesting. When the, when the Lord says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, in the English language, it's hard to see that. In Romanian, it's easy to see that. But the you, is it singular or plural? What do you think? The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. It's singular. The you there is a singular, second person, singular you. How does Gideon respond? But if the Lord is with us. You remember Moses? When God said, I'm so mad at those people, I'm going to go with you, but I'm not going with them. What did Moses say? Unless you go with us, I'm not going. And the Lord said, don't worry, I'll be with you. And he says, good, if you're going with us, he wasn't happy to go on his own. He cared about his people. He didn't just understand the value of the presence of God in his life. He understood the value of the presence of God in everybody else's life around him. You've got to care and love for other people. I, I, I drove by a church yesterday, and the sign on it said, Some Assembly Required. I love it. You are not alone in church. You have to come together. And, and there's, a, there's a lot to that. I don't want to get into it. Um, verse 14, then the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours, and you, singular, shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? You, pro you understand the problem with being sent? 
If I send somebody, where am I? Somewhere else. Gideon's still on this whole presence thing. He's like, no, no, um, I need you present with me, and I need you present with us. Because notice what he says in verse 15. So he said to him, oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Guess what that you is? It's plural. Gideon fought for it. He cried out to the Lord on behalf of Israel when a lot of Israel was not crying out. Are you following me? Oh, there's so much good stuff in here. I have to jump way ahead because I'm going to run out of time. Um, God gives him a challenge. It says, uh, verse 25, it came to pass in the same night that the Lord said to him, take your father's young bull and the second bull of the seventh year old and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has. And he, so he's told to go tear down his father's idol worship. Um, look at verse 27, trying to hurry. So Gideon took 10 men from among his servants and did as the Lord had said to him. He obeyed, but keep reading. But because he feared his father's household. Let me ask you, did he have reason to fear his father's household? Yeah, he did. And the men of the city. Did he have valid reason to fear the men of the city? For those two reasons, it tells us clearly it was too much to do it by day, so he did it by night. Let Scripture interpret Scripture. Why did he do it at night? Because he was too afraid to do it during the day of his family and his culture. He had to stand against his family and his culture. And yet we read that Israel cried out to the Lord. Some in Israel cried out to the Lord. He had to stand up against family and against culture. And, and the first time I studied this, I thought, well, that's really neat. The second time I preached this while I was in Romania was at a teenage retreat for a Christian school that also has a lot of businessmen uh, send their children to there. And there were some Chinese who, uh, their families are idolaters. They're not Christians. And they're sitting there hearing how they they may need to stand against their families. No, they would have to stand against their families and their culture in order to accept Christ. And the reality of these things set in. Uh, it goes on to tell us that the men tried to, <clears throat> tried to kill him, so it validated his fears. But I want to jump to the point now where I think we, we need to rethink this story. Chapter 7. Then Jerubbabel, uh, or Jerubbaal, that it, it's the name given to him for fighting against Baal and the altar, and they named him Let Baal Contend With Him. It was kind of a name that said anything bad that happens to him now, it's because he stood against Baal. And they called him that, and God did that to kind of put him against Baal so when he's victorious, nobody would think Baal did it. That's another whole sermon in itself. But look at then Jerubbabel, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the well of Herod, so that the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them, 
by the hill of Morah in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, now listen carefully. This is the first time you're hearing the story, okay? Right now, Gideon has 32,000 people. That's the group that's there. We'll see that in a moment because it's, it's going to tell us that 22,000 stayed and 10,000 left. Put it together, we have 32,000. So he's there with 32,000 people. Verse 2, and the people who are with you are not strong enough to win the battle. Is that what it says? It says, the people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands. Well, what do you mean it's too many? We need more people. Well, too many, let Scripture interpret Scripture, too many, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me. Look, with only the 32,000, if they go and defeat the Midianites, they will think they did it. And they can't do it. I want them to know, just like Egypt, I delivered them. You, you, you with me? You, do you agree that that's what it's saying? Give me a nod. Okay, good. Because I, I don't want to lose you on this. The purpose of lowering the numbers is to make sure God gets the credit. That's the purpose. Now, uh, verse 3 now, therefore, proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people left, leaving how many? 10,000. So now we've got 22,000 people walking away. 10,000 people remain. How many people had the courage and maybe even the faith in God to fight this battle, were willing to lay their lives down for this cause? How many people were willing to do that? 10,000. In a moment, we're going to see that God says we're still too many, and he divides it down to 300. We already know this. We'll talk about it again in a second. But when the 9,700 leave and 300 remain, which ones are obedient? All of them. 9,700 had the faith and were ready to stay and committed to the cause. And God said, but if you stay, there are still too many for me to deliver Midianites into your hands, or you will think it was you. So 9,700, I need you to just go. Thank you for your willingness. Be blessed. But God's not calling you to the front line. He's calling you somewhere else. They are as obedient as the 300. I love this part. Verse 4, but the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. So same purpose, right? Still too many. Bring them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. Why not, Gideon, walk through the crowd and pick the 300 strongest, most vigilant men? Is God after the strongest? Is, would God pick the same people Gideon would pick? No, he says, Gideon, I, I can't afford to get this one wrong because I need to make sure everybody knows that I won this battle for you. That's the purpose. So he says, Gideon, you take them down to the water, and this time I'm going to pick. Because, Gideon, you, you would not pick the way I'm picking. You would not pick the people I'm going to pick. 
By the way, you might be surprised who God can use in the church. It may not be who you would pick. And I think that's the point of this passage. But in the notes of your Bible, in your study Bible, it's going to tell you that the 300 that scooped down and brought water up to their lips and drank it were the 300. And why? Because they're the most vigilant, the most aware warriors. Heard it since I was in elementary school. There are two key words that I need us to look at as we read the next part of this passage. And for a moment, I want you to put a parenthesis over the putting their hands to their mouth. I want to put a parenthesis around that. We're going to ignore it for a moment. Here's what the Lord says. You're still too many, so take them down and I'll test them there. Um, then it will be that of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, the same shall go with you. And of whomever I say to you, this one shall not go with you, the same shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps like a, like a dog with his tongue. And then it says, you're going to separate them one side. So laps with the tongue. That's one, one group. You agree with me? You shall set apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees. All right? And the number of those who lapped was how many? Was 300. And those who got on their knees were 9,700. That phrase... with the cupping of the hands, the 300 are the ones, the Bible's clear, are the ones who lap like a dog. And somehow we've turned it into this. So either there are a lot of old manuscripts, older manuscripts don't even have that phrase of cupping to this, that it could have been by uh, a scholar who was a scribe who was writing it, added it in for clarification. That's possible. The other possibility I've read is it sits between the two statements and commas were not there and it could have been put with the wrong side. There were those who lapped at the dog or bringing, uh, cupping their hands to the mouth on their knees. But I don't care. That phrase about cupping, maybe, maybe it's the, because it was the ones that lapped like a dog. Maybe they got all the way down, not on their knees and lapped like a dog by cupping their hands and bringing it up. I don't care. What I know is the 300 that were chosen were not the most vigilant sitting up on their knees. They were the ones lapping like dogs. Is that what we heard in Sunday school? But I contend to you that God was not looking for the best 300 warriors out of the 32,000. He was looking for the 300 nobody would have expected. So that when they won the war, Nobody would say, look at those mighty 300 men. But they would say, God won with them? Somebody asked me, then why did he even bring the 32,000? Why didn't he just bring them? I said, because that leaves 31,700 witnesses that spread out all over Israel saying Gideon's crazy. So everybody knew that God did it with the 300. 
Here's my point in all of that. I grew up thinking God is looking for the finest, the biggest, the brightest. And I believe the whole point of this passage is God is looking for you. You may not feel that you're the brightest. I I think some of the brightest were in the 9,700, and they thought, what? But I'm ready for battle. God calls you to different things. If you will let him work in you, the 300 of the least of us can defeat a Midianite army as far as the eye can see, and they couldn't, they couldn't number them. If you let God's power work through you, you will see his victories done in your life. Dear Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for being the God of victory. Lord, I can't help but leave, but I can't help but to believe that there are people here that feel unworthy. They feel afraid. They feel intimidated by culture, maybe by their family. And Gideon identifies with all of that. Which means we can identify with Gideon. He's not just some hero that was masterful at war, picking the right soldiers to go with him. But he was a man who was afraid, but by faith followed you step by step. He was willing to stand in front of his family. He was willing to stand for you in front of his culture, and you protected him. But then, more than that, you delivered Israel, even those who had not cried out to you. You delivered because of his faithfulness and humility before you. And where we may not feel we have strength and maturity, if we can have humility and faith, mountains can be moved because of you. People that we never thought would get saved can fall on their knees and confess you as Lord and Savior. People that we thought would never change from addictions and habits find victory and hope in you. Our sons, our daughters, our grandchildren who've walked away from you and we think they would never return. We fast and we pray. We humble ourselves before you and we cry out to you on their behalf. And you can send a deliverer. Lord, we ask you for your presence in this church. We ask for your presence in our lives. And we ask for the victory that only you can bring. In Jesus' name, amen.